Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope and the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. You know, I was listening to our, our previous recording and I realized we didn't introduce ourselves. Oh, wow. Yeah. That never happened. Well, um, I'm Andrew Templeton. I am a beloved son of God, married to Babani Templeton. She took my last name. Um, I am a person who happens to sell, to sell real estate um, to make a living. I love CrossFit, currently studying in seminary, and just love people. That's me. Yeah. Uh, I'm Ro. I'm from South Louisiana. Um, I've been to just about every consequential LSU home game in the last 15 years other than the 2000 win, 2007 win over Florida. But pretty much other than that, I've been to every single consequential LSU home game. I love the Tigers, love the Saints, um, mm. love to cook. A lot of family down there. Um, I talk about Louisiana a lot just because it's, it's, it's where I come. It's my home. It's the land of my fathers, as Abraham mm, would say. That's you know? good. Little Cajun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do a lot of Cajun. Texas to Louisiana. That's a tough question, man. I love living in Texas. Mm -hmm. A lot of because... Be careful here. Yeah, it is. But a lot of my friends that I grew up with in Louisiana, we all moved away. So if I went back to Louisiana right now, there wouldn't be a lot of people there. I, I love being from Louisiana, but I love living in Texas. Mm, that was a perfect nice. answer. Thank yeah. you. And but you have a dog, right? I have a dog. His name's Sully. I call him Sullivan when I get angry at him. He's a golden retriever. He's never had a bad day. He's just a happy boy all the time. Cool. And um, I'm Neville. I... Um... I love Texas. I like Texans so much. And yeah, that's me. Oh, come on. Give us a little more than that. I like <laughs> Texas. I'm I a like... musician. I'm an engineering student. Uh, I love people. I love Jesus so, so much. And again, yeah, did life so wrong for so long a time and just mm. trying to get the hang of it. And I realized the best way to do that is really to get, to go back, you know, to the scripture, you know, what scripture says. Yeah. Mm. Love that. Well, guys, thanks for introducing yourself. Um, we have our little opener question we want to start with to keep things light is, um, when you get to heaven and, God, and you get to see God, what's the first question you're going to ask him? I would just say, please walk me through the JFK assassination. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go look at the time, like, you know, the, the, the replay of that? That'd be cool, God. Was Lee Harvey Oswald, did he act alone? Did the Cuban government back him? What happened? Just walk it, wow. walk it through. I know we got a lot of things to cover, but just just for curiosity's sake, let's walk me through the timeline. I just want to know. Begin. Also, Area Fifty One. That's happened mm. in Dallas, right? Yeah, it happened in Dallas. Oh, okay. Right, down the, right down the street, downtown. It's like seven minutes from here. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh wow. Was he like giving a speech when that happened? No, he was riding in a car. He was riding in the. He car. He was on his way to his giving a speech. Mm -hmm. Okay. But he was in a car, and just because of the nature of the street, he was riding in a convertible with the top down, and it was a he was turning, so he had to go slow. And there was a dude who was in a just a, the right place at the right time and got him. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. We, will, we will never know. But there's an X on the street where he died. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. There is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. What about you, Neville? Why did she ghost me? Ouch. <laughs> is there a specific We're trying to keep, the, or we're like trying all to keep it lighthearted, Neville. Jeez. Yeah. Why, why did she ghost me? This must be very <laughs> relevant, like very, very happened recently. <laughs> very recent. Yeah. 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 Very, very recent. I, I would ask the same question. That's good. You know, if I got ghosted, oh, you, you've been no. ghosted. Oh yes, oh yes. Oh wow. We all get ghosted. We all get denied. It happens at some point. Ouch! It sucks. 
mine would be really fun. I'd ask him why or what is a duck billed platypus? Like it's, it's got a duck bill. It's a mammal that lays eggs. Like where'd this come from? Was it the leftover parts? Was it just fun? You're getting creative. Like what happened here, God? That's what I do. It's just being very creative, messing with those. So guys, we want you to ask yourself that same question. Ask some people today, have a little lighthearted with it. Gets the conversation running, you know? Yeah. And maybe you want to turn that more spiritual. Maybe it's just for fun. Yeah. Give it a go. Absolutely. So last time we talked about hope. And my question today is, is happiness an element of hope? Mm. Yeah. Is happiness an element of hope? I'll yeah. repeat that. We'll start with Roe on that one. He's had some time to prep for at least the last five seconds. I don't think it is. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because the word happiness... It comes from the same Greek root as the word happening, meaning it's temporary. It's very, it's, it's fleeting. And just in general, chasing happiness is an unwise thing to do because your emotions can change like the wind. Rather, you want to chase joy because joy is a long-term recognition that you were living out the purpose that God has given you. And so just, I just want to start off by making that distinction between happiness and joy and that happiness is temporary and it's fleeting. It's an emotion, but joy is something that's long-term and it comes from a long-term realization that you are living for Christ. And so with that in mind, I want to read something from Jeremiah 17. And it's, it's uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Meaning a lot of people will say, follow your heart, listen to your heart. That's terrible advice. Your heart is wrong almost all the time. Scripture says that right here, it is deceitful above all things. And so when we talk about hope, we're talking about this long-term understanding that we serve a perfect God, even though we ourselves are broken people, and that one day Jesus will come back and he will eradicate all evil in the world and that we will get to spend eternity with him. That's hope. It's not always, it, it doesn't always bring happy feelings because this life is really difficult. And we're promised that over and over throughout scripture, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament, we are promised that this life is very difficult. And to say that happiness is an element of hope, I think that's, I think that's a little bit inaccurate because that, that kind of gets into territory of if I'm having a bad day, it means that I'm doing something right. You know, maybe, I, maybe, I, shouldn't be, maybe I, I shouldn't be living for God because I had a bad day and, and things are really difficult. And that, that kind of gets us into a territory where we're being led by our feelings rather than being led by our faith. Hmm. And so to, that's a long-winded way of saying, no, I don't think that happiness is an element of hope. I think well, that it can be a byproduct. I think that there are certain days by God's grace where we're living for God, we're living out our purpose, and it just so happens that we have a really great day and things go well for us. We find a parking spot, traffic isn't bad, there's not a line at Chick-fil-A, and just some days we have a really good day. But that's not promised because other days we have really, really bad days. But that doesn't mean that our hope that we have in Christ is somehow lost. Well, yeah, I'm going to reiterate that and just say that our um, hope is not tied to emotions. That's just the best way to put it. Our hope is a solid bedrock upon which we're founded is a, an assured promise, not yet fulfilled. That's what we're going with. It's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet. I know where I'm going. Not there yet. Therefore, whatever happens on this earth, I'm going to have my emotional roller coaster. It's going to go up and down, but my bedrock is still the same in hope. So what's the point? <clears throat> what's the point from uh, why should they even follow Christ in the first place? Because he promises to give us hope and joy and all this other good stuff. But still in living life, you know, in living in this broken world, I'm still going to have moments of, you know, where I feel angry, sad, rejected, dejected, and all this other stuff. What difference does he make? Well, you just mentioned the word joy, which I separate joy from happiness. 
um, as I like that that definition of greed. Hey, happening. We associate our happiness with what's happening around us. Joy, I'd say, is more tied to a foundation like hope. It's saying I can always choose to be joyful. I can be joyful because I know what's going to happen in the ultimate long run. Um, just as an example, like I say, what's the worst case scenario? And my worst case scenario is like, man, I lose my job. I lose my wife. I, stop, I can't go to school. lose my house. I'm on the streets. I'm homeless. What happens down there? I can still have joy. Probably won't have as much happiness because I don't have the things around me that I've always wanted, but I can still choose to have joy and have that joy because I know what's going to happen to me after that. And I can still love people around me and I can still talk to them about Jesus, right? That's just my, kind of my quick idea on that one. So let me, let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say you win the lottery and they mm. give you a paper check. Now, I mean, now I'm sure they do a direct deposit, but let's just say for the sake of the argument. No, they give you the big paper check that's like five <laughs> feet long, three feet tall, and it says $16. Just kidding. So let's, let's say they give you a paper check and you are on your way to cash out this paper check that you get from winning the lottery. You are financially set for life. Are you really going to be upset if the temperature in the lobby of the bank is slightly uncomfortable? Are you really going to be upset if traffic is bad on the way to the bank? Because you know that at the end of the day, you're going to walk out and you're going to be financially set and you are never going to have to worry about money ever again. Well, that's kind of how that's kind of how we should look at life as believers is that we have hit the lottery in eternity. Yeah. Like, yes, this life is, is going to be difficult. And they even call Jesus a man of sorrows. And it, it, life is suffering to a degree. But the next life, eternity, is infinitely better than this one. And so we are walking, when we walk to the grave or when we're going to the grave, we are going with a lot with a check in hand that we have already won the lottery and that death is not the end for us. It's a transition point where we get to spend eternity with God. And when we have that perspective in mind, the bad days just get a little bit easier to manage because we know that, hey, this is temporary. This life is fleeting. It, it's but a vapor in the wind, as the scriptures would say. And so if I have a really terrible day, it's, it's, it's temporary. It's what I really get to look forward to is a perfect eternity spent in the presence of God. And if, you know, I get sick, I'm broke, I die alone and miserable. Yeah, that may not be fun, but it's okay because in the end I get to spend eternity with God. That was a really good analogy. I like that one. You're like, man, I'm, I'm five minutes in the bank. It's an uncomfortable temperature. I'm five minutes in traffic and I'm irritated a little bit. This hurts. It sucks a little bit, but in the grand scheme of things, wow. This is like five minutes out of, you know, infinite number of hours and days and months and years. And that's what eternal life really means is we have a short, short little red dot here on this earth and then the rest of eternity there in utter bliss. And another way to put that is, would you choose one day, the worst day of your life? Imagine that the absolute worst and worse than that, just absolute pain so that every single day after that, it's just sheer bliss. Mm -hmm. And that's where the trade-off is. That one day was little ups and downs. Oh, this, this is really bad. This sucks. For sheer bliss, everything, every day after. That's oh. what we're trading. So we also live in a society where instant gratification is kind of the thing, right? Mm. We purchase stuff based you know, on our credit scores and our credit limits, right? And so in your analogy of you know, getting, winning this lottery, I feel like there's going to be people who want it right now and actually the drive to the bank or the flight to uh las vegas might be a bit inconveniencing so how do you get to a place where you're like okay i choose to trust in what's coming tomorrow it might not i might not have it now i choose to believe that someday i'm gonna have that check and i'm gonna deposit it and i'm gonna be secured you know financially secure for the rest of my life yeah so i part of my story is i played baseball in college and all throughout college i struggled to throw strikes i walked a lot of people and 
my friends and I, we, we laugh about it now because it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if I had a great college career or a terrible one, it, what difference does it make? I'd still be sitting here right now. And I played Division three baseball. I mean, we probably had 50 people in the stands at every game. It, it really did not matter. Baller. Yeah. It really, it re- one, I remember one time, just a quick story, there was a, a middle school or an elementary school whose choir was singing the national anthem. And we come out. It's a Tuesday night. We're playing this crosstown school. It's a big game. And the stands are packed. And we're all really excited because we're thinking, oh, wow, I, I guess people were excited for the, a little crosstown rivalry. And then the kids sing the national anthem. And as soon as they say home of the brave, 75% of the people in the stands get up and walk out because they were all the kids' parents. No one actually cared about the game. And so it was, it, you know, it's just we didn't play. It wasn't, there was no glamour in it. But even then, I was still struggling because I would put so much pressure on myself and I put so much of my self-worth on how well I performed on the field. And that's ridiculous. And I remember I had this teammate, his name was Evan, and he's a really strong believer. And he told me, just keep an eternal perspective. If you walk 15 people today and you never pitch again for your college career, does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? You get to spend eternity with God. And at the time, I was so caught up in performing well on the field that I didn't, that really didn't sink with me. It really didn't stick. But now looking back, it makes perfect sense because Evan was completely right. In the grand scheme of things, the, present, the sufferings of this present time, as Romans 8 would say, are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. And it's just a matter of keeping that eternal perspective and not getting so caught up in performing now and getting everything right right now that we can focus on the bigger picture and this, this grand scheme of things, this, this great eternity that God has ready, ready, waiting for us um, in heaven. And I think it's just a matter of just letting go just a little bit more every day or just loosening your grip a little bit every day about, mm, you know, well, the, the, the day-to-day challenges that we find ourselves in. Yeah, and, and, and looking at God's sovereignty and, and says a thousand years about a day and a, and a day about a thousand years to him, right? Our perspective on timing on things, we may want it now. Um, he is way different when he looks at time. A thousand years, super quick, that's a day. But then at the same time, he's outside of time, outside of time and inside of time. And we are like, but I need it now. I need it right now. And that's just because we're hoping for things. We're looking at things that are so small that we can see. And going back to Romans 8 in there, it says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Like that's the reason we can wait patiently is because we're saying, wow, I haven't seen it yet. I know it's better. I know it's going to be better. So therefore I'm going to wait for it. Because things we want now, we can see them. We look at them. And then we go to them typically. We might try it, and it's like, oh, that actually wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. And that's the cool thing here is like what we're waiting for is going to be so much better than what we think. Yeah, and, and growing up in South Louisiana, like I mentioned earlier in the, in, the, in the episode, we cook a lot of things on low heat for a long period of time. That's simmering. Yeah, mm-hmm. like gumbo is a perfect example. It takes four hours to make a good gumbo, and that takes a lot of patience. But that four hours, is all, is, every time it's worth it because the gumbo tastes amazing, and it's much better than you know, easy Mac in the microwave that takes 60 seconds. But that, that patience makes it taste just a little bit better. And doesn't anticipation like make things better? So mm-hmm. many people like planning vacation. It's like the six months of planning that awesome vacation are almost as fun as the vacation itself. 100%. Yeah. It's crazy how that works. Well, that, 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 that's interesting. But come to think of it, so say I'm sad, angry, depressed. Uh, having serious mental health, uh, mental health issues, which is really something that, you know, is currently going on around us. How do you walk me out of that? How do I funnel my focus back to this um, hope 
like what does that look like what's a practical way of just just going about that yeah our environments here in the united states especially have primed us for the highest levels of anxiety and depression in history right the fact that we are so connected via phones we're always on our phone always looking for the next thing we have instantaneous gratification we see the best parts of people's lives on instagram and facebook and therefore we get saddened and then we spend a lot of time indoors we spend a lot of times not moving our bodies not getting things that god's created us to do and so it it actually leads to chemical imbalances in our body and then we have mental imbalances because we see what everyone else is doing all the time and we get to this place of anxiety and depression and it's really hard to get out of right and so we can say and a lot of times we're like, hey man just sit there with god just be god's there for you god's there for you like that doesn't matter right now i'm suffering right and so it's one being there for that person helping them but also completely drastically changing their environment where it's like, man, you're just sitting in your bedroom the entire day. We got to get you out of here. Let's go first for a walk in the sun. Oh, you've been looking at your phone 24 seven. We're taking your phone away. We're taking you off social media. We have to get rid of all this. Why? Because what, what they're doing, what's happening there is we're trying to jam pack some things in our life that will hopefully take away that, that sadness or that depression or that whatever's going on. And it doesn't, right? And that's why we have to say that I really see God is the one who's going to satisfy that, but God also created things around us. He created us to be in a relation. He created us to enjoy nature that we're also supposed to partake in. And when you do all those things fully, he starts to heal. It's not a process that happens like instantaneously. I walk outside, done, depression's over. Right? I can't be like, dude, if you just read the Bible, you'll be good. No, it's going to take some time sitting there and reading the Bible day in and day out and doing things actively and being in community, things you don't want to do to change that. Right? He's given you all the tools. He's given us all the tools to do that. And we have to sometimes step out of our comfort zone and go towards that. Because could we look at that? I mean, if you ever read Psalms, yeah. David was like an anxious, depressed individual. It's up and down. First chapter, he's like, God, all my enemies hate me. They're, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And the last half of the verse, he's like, but you are so good. You're the, you have steadfast love to my fathers and my fathers and my kids. It's just, that's how he does it. It's, it's complete revert. So quickly changed. So one part of your answer that I thought was fascinating is you use the word we a lot. You said, if you have a friend that's, that's going through depression, anxiety, you said, we're going to get you outside. We're going to take away your phone. And I think that's so great because having been through that myself, you know, from the night I graduated from college until six months later and, and basically until November, I was a shell of myself. Mm. And it was, it was visible to my friends and it actually, it kind of bummed me out how much, I think it put a burden on some of them because they were worried about me, which was, which was great. And it didn't really go away until I got to start. I was at LSU at the time. I was in my first year of law school and I got to minister to a lot of the guys on the baseball team there at LSU. And that's really what pulled me out of it. And, it. and I don't think that's a coincidence because community, I think, is probably the most important way to get, a, get out of seasons of, of depression like that or just low seasons like that. And it, there, it even comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And basically what that's saying is you need people in your life. You need godly people in your life. And they help you to grow. I've never grown more as a believer than I have in the last six months serving at the porch, being around godly people constantly. And they pull you out of bad times. Not, it's not automatic. It's not instant. It's not a promise that if you have godly people around you, you won't have bad days and you won't have bad seasons because that's probably going to happen. But it's much easier to, it's much easier to be reminded of God's goodness when you have God's people around you to constantly speak truth into that season. Mm. Well, yeah, and one more thing to add to that is 
looking at Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, well, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's the mindset where it's not about me. Because when we're anxious, we're anxious, I'm anxious about my future. When I'm depressed, I'm depressed about my past, right? Instead of thinking about others and putting the mindset on other people. Uh, and that's where it comes from is when we're serving, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, right? We're, we're created to be serving, to loving those around us. When we get back in that rhythm and putting others in front of ourselves. Wow, it leads to a satisfaction in life. It leads to joy and more, and I would say more happiness a lot of times. But the question you ask, it's, it's not something that happens overnight. So I don't want to think like, hey, we have a solution here. Three months, try it. It's going to happen. Everyone's different, right? It could happen in three weeks. It could happen in two years, right? I'm mean, going to struggle with depression at some point in my life because of a chemical imbalance in my hormones, right? I just wasn't producing enough testosterone, which made me more depressed, right? And so there's a lot of, that's why I say eating, eating healthy, right? Being outside, all these different things go in balance based on God's creation, as well as being in relationship with him and others yeah. and serving. It kind of goes all hand in hand. So you really talked about uh, doing what God created you to do, right? Mm -hmm. I think I've had a lot of discussions with friends who are like, hey, what's my purpose? You know, they try to figure it out. And you also quoted uh, David, right? And in David's time, a prophet, uh, Samuel, right, actually went to him and was like, hey, I'm anointing you. So David already had a clear communication from an agent of God, you know, kind of who went to him and was like, this is what I created you to do. But now in today's society, do we really experience such? And if not, then how, how do you get to a place where we're like, okay, this is what I've been created to do. This is my identity as found in Christ. And this is how I need, and this is what I need to do to get to that where God wants me to be. Yeah, really, um, I can kind of give you your purpose in life. We can knock that down really quickly. Um, are you like, what? You can do that? And yes, but first to say, what you're talking about is a sweet spot. It's where what you're really good at, right? God's giving you this natural gifts and abilities and what you love to do intersect. And you're just like, man, this is my sweet spot. This is just so good. This is like, that's what like, the purpose, like, this is my purpose, right? Um, but the other aspect that is purpose is there's two things we've been given in the Bible is God says in Genesis, basically to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth, right? That's our first job is to work, to subdue the earth, to produce fruit, to work hard. And right, that can be in your technology job, that can be in the field as a farmer, that can be doing those things. That's the creation mandate. And then we have Jesus over here as a Christian who tells his disciples, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right, that's Matthew 28. And that's the great commission mandate. And so we have these two mandates as Christians that we're called to be doing. And that is your purpose, right? Work hard, subdue the earth, glorify God through that, as well as go therefore and make disciples. Now, now, the sweet spot, that's another story. That's the hard one to find. And that's where we have to dive into some of your special gifts, your special talents, and see what energizes you and what fires you up, right? What you're passionate about. And sadly, in today's society, everyone's like, oh, dude, you just got to do what you're most passionate about for your work. That's probably not the case. To get to that point in life usually takes a long time. And you're probably working in a place where you're not, like, man, this is not my extreme passion. This is not my sweet spot for a lot of your life. But at the same time, you can still have that sweet spot outside of work. Or maybe you work towards that in 30 years or whatnot. But we right now want the instant gratification of like, I'm just going to do what I love right here, right now. It doesn't make money, but it's fine. That's how I see those things. And then also one more thing, sorry. <laughs> Pointing back to David is he got anointed at like 16, 15, 16. It wasn't until about 15 or 16 years later when he actually became king of Israel. So all of a sudden we're like instant gratification. I'm anointed. Boom. All right. So you may have this oh, anointing wow. or this calling in your life like, man, God is calling me to be a doctor. Or God called me to do X, Y, and Z. And you feel that. 
But yet, and they're like, man, he got it 15 years of age. But he's working until he's 31, 32, until he gets to become that doctor. You know, and that's what happened to David is he had this anointing on his life, but he had to go through so many storms and so many seasons while God was developing them. Wow. A lot of times we're being developed for our purpose, for our calling, which we don't know. We may not know yet, but God's developing, developing us in the long run. Wow. That was quite a few ideas. Anything else to add to that, Ro? Yeah, I mean, I, one thing that came to mind is when we were talking about your purpose and whether you can glorify God in your tech job or your engineering job. I know that for myself, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, there's a lot of anxiety around big decisions because you mm -hmm. think that, you know, if I, if I go to this school, I could miss out on God's plan for my life. If I take this job, I could miss out on God's plan for my life. And to me, I was actually studying this week. I think the story of Judas is one of the most encouraging stories in the Bible to me. And I'll tell you why, as, as weird as that sounds. Judas committed the worst act of betrayal in human history. He was, by, all, by our standards, a despicable human being. He stole from the treasury. He stole money from the disciples. And then he betrayed Jesus. He was not a good guy, objectively speaking. And yet, because Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus was then crucified, and then he resurrected from the dead. And so the greatest day in human history, Easter Sunday, happened as a result of the greatest betrayal in human history. And God was able to use Judas's flaws to bring, himself, to bring glory to himself. And then even after that, unfortunately, Judas could not handle the mistake that he had made, and he unfortunately hung himself. But then immediately afterwards, Jesus replaced him, and he got back to 12 disciples. So he had 12 disciples, including Judas. Judas hung himself. He goes down to 11. And then after Easter Sunday, Jesus adds a 12th guy. And so they replace him immediately. And the reason why that's encouraging to me is because it tells me that it does not matter how, much, how stupid of a decision I make or how many mistakes I make, I can always, God can always use the mistakes that I make to glorify him. And so it takes the pressure off of me. And so I, 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 like, if I pick the wrong law school, it's not the end of the world because mm. Judas committed one of the worst acts in history, and yet God could still glorify himself through that. And so if I pick the wrong law school, God can still redeem that. If I pick the wrong job, God can still redeem that. He can still redeem bad decisions. And so it really takes the pressure. I'm not saying go willy-nilly, do whatever you want. But if you are facing a tough decision right now and, or a big decision, if you just so happen to make the wrong decision, in hindsight, looking back in five years, God can still use that. And so it's not the end of the world if you make one wrong career move or go to the wrong school or, or whatnot. And that's, that's why, in a weird way, the story of Judas is oddly encouraging to me. Well, yeah, another verse in Romans 8, Romans 8, 28, which I'm sure some of you have heard, right? And we know that the, for those who love God, you know, who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. For those who love God, all things work together for good. He's working it out for our good, no matter what's going on. Wow. So, Ro, you also talked about godly people. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you guys ever been hurt by someone who claimed to be a, to be a godly person? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean Christians aren't immune to doing bad things to each other. I mean, I'm sure we've all done, we've all I made have. our fair share of mistakes, really have, and yeah. we've all treated people poorly. And and but that's part of that's part of walking with Christ is that Jesus is this unattainable standard that we will never achieve. But by God's grace, He makes us more like Him on a daily basis, knowing that we will never achieve that standard. But God can help us grow in our walk. And that does mean, unfortunately, we make mistakes and we treat people poorly sometimes and we, we do the wrong thing. Yeah, that's why our hope's not, my hope's not in Avil. My hope, I'm a man, Avil's just going to be my best friend ever. He's going to take care of me. He's going to satisfy my needs. I'm not hoping in someone around me. My hope is in Christ, right? That's my firm foundation. Now, we do put a lot of trust in the people around us and they end up falling short. Um, 
via their sins or via the decisions or something like that. And that does hurt, but we only have to say, that's okay because my hope is in someone else, someone who's never going to let me down. And so it's shifting that mindset because there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. And that's what we have to, to say. Like, I'm not perfect. No one here is perfect. No one here is ever going to live up to that standard of perfect godliness. Um, and so that's why I don't like to use the word, I'm a godly individual. Like, no, not even close, right? Because I fall so short, be it people in society and other people around us like to use that. Yeah, he's so godly. But yet they only see this, you know, the outside. Maybe they only see the Instagram posts. Like, dude, he's always at church. He was serving the homeless this weekend. Like, he's such a godly guy. And they don't actually know him intimately. Because wow. once you know your intimate guys, you're like, yeah, or intimate gals, like, you know, I'm not going to really call him godly all the way there. Right? <laughs> he is, he is pursuing God. He is pursuing God. He wants to yeah. be like Christ, yeah. but I don't know about his, you know, his life. He's, yeah. he's definitely, he's working on things. Yeah. So let's talk about Paul. Uh, Paul is a friend of mine and he, do, he doesn't even want to entertain the idea of him going back to church because there was a time in his life where he really needed to be around people, you know, people uh, as Andrew and you, uh, bro, yourself, you said it's very important to have ourselves surrounded by good people, right? So Paul doesn't want to go to church because he was hot, so, so bad. And I'm sure it's not only Paul that kind of, you know, resides in that ball game. There's a lot of other Pauls around here. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been hot so much. There's a pretenders. There's a bunch of, it's a cult, you know, it's a very, you know, bunch of people who are trying to, force us to live our lives a certain way blah 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 so like how do we have that conversation with these people and you're like well i'm sorry this is not what it was supposed to be like blah 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 well we have to look at first and address their issue and get to know them but their issue is with the church and with the people and with christians it's not with jesus typically right because if, and, and what christianity is is a relationship with jesus and so when i get to talk to a paul I met with someone at my CrossFit gym on Wednesday night, had the same conversation, grew up Southern Baptist, is now an atheist. Um, and I'm excited to have more conversations with her, but because she's been hurt by the church, hurt by her parents and their, their strictness growing up. And so in college, freedom slash I'm done with that because she was hurt by that. So the issue is not with Jesus. The issue is with the church and the family around her, the people, right? And so that's the area we have to really address and point them back to Christ and saying, yeah, you're right. Man, people are people are messed up. This church is messed up. We're always gonna be messed up. Um, and let's point you back to who Jesus is. And then we just say, Have you ever seen a faithful Christian? Right? Because if we look at David, we call him a faithful guy. I mean, I think today's society, a faithful Christian, following God, and he screwed up quite a bit. But yet God said, This is a man after my own heart, because he always came back with repentance towards God. And that's the same kind of community, friends you're looking at, is they're always gonna repent for anything when they screw up. Man, they're gonna they're gonna wrong you, gonna ditch you twice on a Friday night in a row when you need them. Like, they're man, gonna ghost you. They're gonna ghost you, but they're gonna be like, "Yeah, dude, but my girlfriend and I, you know, we're hanging out." And then he's gonna come back a month later and be like, "Wow, that was the stupidest decision of my life. I am sorry for what I did to you there." Right? And those is well, that's a true faithful Christian when they repent of whatever they've done against you and what they've done against God. And so I'd say their problem is with people and the church, not with Jesus. Mm. And so we have to really bring that out of them. Wow. Bro. That's why as, a, as members of the church, we have a very sacred duty to people who are not following Christ. And it, it's not arbitrary. And I use that word sacred. I use that word very seriously because we have a solemn and very serious duty to the people who do not know Christ. And in our context, we all serve at the porch, which is a young adult ministry here in Dallas at Watermark Church. And probably 2,000 people come in there every Tuesday night. And we have the unique opportunity and the blessing to be able to minister to people who are in their 20s and 30s 
who probably 60 to 70% of them are not actually following Christ. And we have a very solemn duty to them to treat them with respect and to love on them and to minister to them faithfully, because that is a very serious thing. I can't count the number of times I've had conversations just like you did, Andrew, with someone who grew up in a Christian home, but had been hurt by the church or been hurt by God's people and then walked away from that completely. Jesus even gives a parable in, it may even be in all four gospels, I'm not sure, called the parable of the sower. And it's a guy, he's throwing seeds all over the place. And one of the, he gives four places the seeds could land, I think on, on rocky soil, on, in the midst of a thorn bush, on, um, I can't remember the other one. But then one of the places where the seeds land is on uh, a rocky path or on a, on a, a tough path. And basically what that means is in those days, if you imagine a football field, which is where you're growing crops, and there was about a two-foot-wide path going through the middle of that field, that's where the farmer would walk through, and that's where he would throw seeds, is on that mm-hmm. path. And because the dirt had been trampled on so much because the farmer's walking through that path every day, the soil is packed so tight that nothing can grow in there. And I think what Jesus is getting at in that parable is that there are a lot of people whose hearts have been hardened because they've been walked on so much that it's difficult for the gospel to resonate with them because they don't want to have anything to do with God's people. And I don't care if Jesus loves me unconditionally because his people don't love me unconditionally. And I don't want to be anywhere near those people. And I think as Christians, we have a very solemn duty to never do that to a person because one of the most damaging things you can do to someone's eternity is to trample on them as a Christian and make them skeptical of Jesus for the rest of their lives. And I think that as Christians, we need to be cognizant of that. We need to be Recognize, we need to recognize that, and we need to take that very, very seriously and love people the way that Christ loved us, which is to say unconditionally, to be willing to lay down our lives for them. And that's, that's really what it means to love someone unconditionally. Yeah. So what would you say to a Christian skeptic who lies on the other side of the equation, who's been hurt by the church or hurt by Christians or hurt by people who claim to be followers of Christ? I would ask them, what can you tell me the God that you don't believe in? Because I probably don't believe in him either. If you believe in a stern God who just wants to screw you over and push you around and you believe in a God like that, because you you've met Christians like that, that's not who God is. And we know that from scripture that he is a loving father who came down from all of his glory in heaven and who loved us so much that said those people in their mess in the midst of their filth, I'm going to go in and I'm going to die the worst death that's ever been died by anyone and I'm going to rescue them just so that they could have the choice. You know, it's one thing to die for someone knowing that everything will work out. But Jesus died for us knowing that we may never love him back. And wow. you, you think about that. That is, a, that is a type of love that none of us could ever put into words. We, wow. we could never do it justice by trying to explain that type of love. Wow. And I think a lot of times the church, we miscommunicate that message. And it's, it's a lot of hellfire and brimstone. And we, we need to remind people that Jesus loves you. Your sin does not have to define you. Your relationship with Christ can define you. And I, I just want to stress to, to Paul, I don't know whoever the, the fake person we're talking to, Paul maybe, is that maybe you have been hurt by the church. I am not minimizing that. I understand that. I know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a, in a somewhat legalistic church. I get it. I feel your pain. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus loves you unconditionally. And I'm telling you this because I care about you enough, Paul, that I want you to understand the same joy that I've understood. And that is by coming into a relationship with Jesus. Well, yeah, my first step is apologizing. Yep. It's just, uh, I'm sorry for what happened to you. And I love that is let me show you the God that I know um, in that. And when we talk about unconditional love, only God can show that. 
Um, a lot of people use this, you know, agape love out of context. The only reason that it is unconditional is because of who God is, right? We can't even, we fall short of that. I can't agape love in the unconditional aspect of that. Um, and just to point you guys, even an example of that in, in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? It says that, that word is agape, you know, that's what he's doing for us. He agape the world so much that he gave his one and only son. But yet just a couple of verses later in John three nineteen, it says that the light referring to Jesus has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. This is just an example, not trying to, is that loved same exact word agape. People agape the darkness rather than the light, right? And so wow. they, 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 when we're planning agape, we're planning unconditional love, it can only be God. Because people loving their evil deeds only love it when it brings them pleasure, right? In today's society, we only enjoy, like, I only enjoy sex outside of marriage as long as it's giving me pleasure. I only enjoy taking drugs until I get caught it for it. It makes you feel good. Because it makes me feel good. I enjoy things that are evil, I'll say in the parentheses, um, because it makes me feel good. But once it stops doing that, I no longer love it. When it no longer brings me anything, I no longer love it. But yet God says, unconditionally, I'm going to love you even though you may never come to know me, even though it may never do anything. You may never do anything with it. And so it's just pointing back to that unconditional love. There's a verse in Revelation that I think is fascinating that a lot of us have heard. And just to give you a little bit of background, Revelation paints the picture of Christ. It's, it's a vision from John, um, and it, it is God revealing himself and, and the end times to John. And so John writes his book, Revelation. In Revelation, you see a, a side of God that is somewhat terrifying because it is the story of how God will unleash his wrath on sin and unleash his wrath on the world and what it's going to look like when he comes back. And it is very terrifying to some degree. And, but there's this verse in Revelation 21 towards the end, and it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Does that sound like a... a God that's out to get you. Mm. I mean, to me, the most intimate thing a father can do to his child, wipe away every tear from their eye. I mean, just think about, like, I think about my own dad. I have an amazing dad and just how compassionate he is for me. And just the idea of wiping every tear away from your eye. That reminds me of my own dad, of how compassionate my dad is. And, you know, my dad has seen me fail over and over and over again and be a jerk to him and be a bad son. But yet my dad loves me so much that I, you know, I've been blessed with a great father. And this verse, it just reminds me of my dad. And, and that is, God is a dad and he loves you so much that we can never put it into words. He's not out to get you. He's not out to screw you over. He's not out to, to mess with you. He is there. He wants you because he loves you unconditionally. Mm. And, and that verse is really, I think that verse more than anything just drives home how much God is a father to us. Mm. And so to, to, the, to the person who's been trampled by the church, and who is, is skeptical of, of coming to know Christ because of what has happened to them in the past, I just want to remind them, this is who God is, is that he will wipe away every tear from your eye. And he doesn't want to see you suffer. He wants to see you delivered from that suffering in eternal life. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some truths that are not just, you know, they're not just hypothetical affairs written in the Bible. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm at a place where I can say that is true. If I look at the story of my life and mm -hmm. you know, some of the things that I've been through and some of the hearts that I've experienced, I can fully, confidently, and I think you gentlemen might agree with me that that is true, that he will do what he said he will do. And sometimes you just have to give him a chance. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to the next question. Someone who might be listening and is like, that sounds good. That sounds great. You know, the understanding that I don't have to be in charge of tomorrow is quite reassuring. So what does that process of submitting yourself 
to the love of a father who loves you so much, maybe even more than your biological father, in as much as Ro, you said you have a great father, you a great dad, right? So someone who loves you more than that. So how do we submit ourselves to that? How do we surrender ourselves to him? It I would say it's the same way that I submit to my own dad, except multiply it by infinity, which is I want to my dad is a great man and I want to be like him one day. And because of that, that influences my decisions because, you know, I want to, I want to do the things that my dad would want me to do. And I take his advice. I listen to, I listen when he tells me things. Um, he's a very wise person. And I think that, you know, it's kind of crazy. I, I, the reason why I say I've been blessed with such a great dad is because I've come to understand the character of God so much by observing my own father and just saying, okay, like this is how much my dad loves my sister and I, now let's multiply that by infinity. And that's how much God loves all of us. And I've really come to understand God's grace through my dad. And, you know, it's, it's really the same way because we can talk to, to people in kind of church language and tell them like, oh yeah, you're just going to just trust God and, and be, be faithful and have faith in God. But what does that really mean on a day-to-day basis? And for me, I think as, as practical as I can give it to you is that what it means is I want to be more like God on a day-to-day basis. I'm going to listen to what he tells me, meaning his word. I'm going to take his advice. I'm going to do the things he tells me to do. I'm going to stay away from the things he tells me to stay away from. And I'm going to love him and do my best to follow him, knowing that I will make mistakes along the way. I think that's what it means when I would say, this is what it means to trust in God with your life and with your future. Hmm. That's good. It's a trust, which is equal to faith in God. As you said, when he calls us to do something, to be obedient, it's because he's created the world in a certain way. He's done creation and he knows what's best for us. And so these, these laws, whatever you look at these rules, I have to follow. It's not a have to, it's a want to and a get to because God has created it in our best interest in that case. Um, and so we actually looked at a sermon this past week talking about kids and their dads at church. And it was in Luke um, 18 and talking about verse 17. I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Well, I think of a child let's say a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and let's just say they do have a dad. Maybe they don't, right? A lot of us have bad experiences with fathers, um, that, which, is, which is horrible. But let's just say, you know, think about their mom. Hey, you don't have a dad. And your mom, and you, you trusted her. You knew that she was, as three years of age, she's going to give me food. Like, I don't have to worry about it, right? She's going to clothe me. I don't have to worry about it. Like, she provides for me. I just intimately trust and have faith in my mom, or just whatever it is, or your dad. That's the same kind of faith or submission or trust that we're coming to the Heavenly Father is. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know where the food comes from. I don't know where the clothing comes from. I don't know what the future looks like. But I trust you because you are God, because you are my father, because you're my provider, right? And that's the kind of trust that we're called to have. Um, And sometimes we have a hard time with that because we live in such a broken world and a lot of us haven't experienced that at home. Um, And But thinking, have that mindset like a child, whether you know what, he is that good, he's going to provide for me. Well, you know know what's fascinating is Whenever we have worship time at church, which is when we sing, you see a lot of people with both their hands up. They'll put one or both of their hands up during the song. It's just how they respond to God during worship time is they put their hands up. It's just, it's not something I, w- I was exposed to growing up Catholic, but it's definitely one thing that we see a lot in our church is that people put their hands up. And that is the same gesture that a baby makes when it wants to be picked up by its parents, is it puts wow. both of his hands up. Mm. Wow. It's also the same gesture that you make when you are surrendering in war, you put your hands yep. up. When you are, when a cop is, is arresting you and tells you to put your hands up, that's what, it's the same gesture. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think that 
there for some reason, I don't know what it is, but just the idea of putting both of our hands in the air, it's just a sign of submission. It's a universal sign of submission. And I think that, I just think it's so crazy how the same gesture that we use during worship is the same gesture that a baby uses when it wants to be picked up by its father. And it's, it all ties in together because mm -hmm. we were worshiping our father and we're saying, I'm submitting to you and I want to follow you. And I just think that's so fascinating. Man, that's such a good example. Wow. It's very interesting to think about this, that a man, you know, I have a great dad myself, but there's this man who actually lost his life for me and for you. That's incredible. And that, that's the truth. And man, I believe in this man fully. I've seen him change my life, you know, from a very suicidal minded kid to a very, someone who's been described as very joyful, you know, to someone who, you know, once upon a time was very depressed to, you know, I don't experience such, I still have my bad days, but I just have to get myself back on my knees and mm -hmm. then somehow it just disappears. And so that's really what we stand for. And that's where we draw our hope from, you know, and so usually we're going to have feelings, our feelings and our, uh, our feelings will not always coalesce with the, you know, with, with the truth that this hope is guaranteed. But hey, man, when you look up, then that's where you find your hope. And so, yeah, in conclusion, what do you guys have to say? I mean, just a quick little synopsis on everything we talked about, yeah. but we look at our, our emotions are like a roller coaster. It goes up and down, up and down, up and down, all over the place. But that's not what we're trusting in. Yeah. We're trusting on a solid foundation of God um, in that and the hope that we have in him. Mm -hmm. um, and really, when we look at him, we're saying that, man, he is a good father to us. And that's where our hope is at. That's who we're trusting in as someone who is good because of the nature of his essence of who he is. And goodness just flows from him. Um, and really, so taping, taking those steps out in trust for him and having a relationship with him in Christ, not because of the people in the church, mm. not because of that, because you're going to get burned by them if you put your trust in them. Mm. And a lot of people have been burnt. And so the challenge really is, for those of you who are listening, and I'm sure everyone who's listening has been hurt by someone in the church or whatnot, is to remember to put your confidence and your trust and your hope in Christ and in God and not the people around you because they're always going to let you down. Oh. What does it look like how to trust in this Jesus, to accept this Jesus into my heart? Wow, that's, that's such an important question because that really is everything. And that we're told in Romans that salvation is a free gift of God and that basically if we accept it, then we get to go into heaven, not because of anything that we've done, not because of our gifts, our abilities, not because we're a great person, but because we serve a great God. And I think that if you're in a position right now, if you're listening where you don't know if you've ever put your faith in Jesus or, or you've never actually put your faith in Jesus, I cannot encourage you to do it enough because it is the greatest possible thing that you can do to say, God, I want you to come in my heart. I want you to convict me of sin. I want to be more like you and less like me. I want to go where you tell me to go. I want you to stay away from, I want to stay away from the things that you tell me to stay away from. And I want to dedicate my life to serving you, not serving myself, not serving my own career ambitions, not serving my friends. I want to dedicate my life to serving you. Um, and I want you to come into my heart and I want you to walk with me daily. That, that really is, is what it is. And in, in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it takes. You don't, have to, you don't have to give a certain amount of money. You don't have to help a certain amount of old ladies across the street. It is nothing more than putting your faith in a good God and, and saying that I am not good enough to be in your presence, but you love me so much that you came to me. And therefore, I want to be in your presence because it's a free gift that you have given me. Mm. It's that wow. simple. 
I'm not good enough, but you loved me so much that you gave your life for me. That's the parting shot. Mm. Thank you guys. Until next time as we have more discussions on hope and feelings and hitting rock bottom, right? And hitting rock mm, bottom. Gonna That's going to be a good one. <laughs> All right guys, until next time. Adios muchachos. Hasta luego. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight@outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.